Hello there, I'm Marina Mahadeo. Welcome to Busy Reading Books, a podcast where we'll explore the world through words, featuring some of my favourite books and authors. Hello BRB listeners, we've got an exciting offer for you. Get an exclusive 10% discount at Book Access, Malaysia's leading book retailer. Just use the code ZAFIGO10, all caps, at checkout before 6 September 2021. It can be used store-wide except during flash sales. Happy shopping! Greetings, this is Marina again, talking again about books on Busy Reading Books by ZAFIGO. I hope you've been enjoying the previous episodes. Uh, do let us know if there are any genres of books that you'd like us to explore. I can't promise that I'll do every single one, but we'll try our best. So today, I'm not ready to leave Asia yet because we're such a big continent and there's so much talent, literary talent uh, in this continent that we call home. So today, we are heading east to Japan. Now, let me tell you that I used to live in Japan about 35 years ago. I had just gotten married and moved there because that's where my husband's job was. In Tokyo, where we first moved, I couldn't work. So it was rather tough for me to go from a busy life as a PR executive in KL to having no routine, no appointments and no friends. Worse, Japan was a country where I felt deaf, dumb and blind. I couldn't understand the language, couldn't speak to anyone, couldn't read anything. In the late 1980s, very little was written in English. So finally, to try and cope, I decided to take classes in the Japanese language. So I went to school run by a Belgian priest, or run by Belgian priests. I forget what was the name, but they were in Ropongi, uh, which is, you know, the hip nightclub district of Tokyo. The school had been recommended because they had devised a method of teaching that was apparently very effective. It involved memorizing whole phrases instead of single words, and learning the grammar from there. I don't think it was easy. I remember in the very first class, one woman dropped out because her American mind was unable to get around this strange language with an entirely different grammar. Plus, you know, they had um, different words that you use for men and women. Normally, uh, for I, you say watashi, but for men, they can call themselves boku, and boku actually means ram. So you get the implications of that? Yeah. So I didn't find it so bad, actually, uh, learning Japanese because Japanese pronunciation is easy for Malay speakers. The the um, vowels are the same. It's A-E-U-A-O. And so to pronounce it, it's, it's really not difficult. And some words are even similar. For instance, they end questions with ka, <laughs> just like us. Um, their word for drink is nomi, nomimas. And I say, oh, that's the opposite of mino, like ours. <laughs> 
in the afternoons, I also attended a class on dissecting kanji. Kanji is the Chinese uh, pictograms that the Japanese use in their writing. And what it does in this class, uh, taught by this Belgian priest, he had written a book that broke down the pictograms into smaller parts so that you could make intelligent intelligent guesses as to what they mean. For example, it's easy to identify the pictogram for big because it looks like a man with his arms spread out or the pictogram for rain, which looks like three splashes of water. That's basically what I remember. I also remember um, the pictogram for field, which is four little squares together, or one square divided into quarters. But to read a Japanese newspaper, you need to have at least 200 words or kanji characters, and there was no way I was going to get to that level. But I had plenty of time, so I like to fill it with reading. So I had to find books and magazines in English. And luckily, in Ropongi, where my school was, just one stop away from where I lived in Hiro, there was the Aoyama Bookstore, which sold English books and magazines. I would go and browse through their not-so-big collection of English books and buy one or two each time. They weren't cheap, but I didn't have much choice. So mostly I bought the English classics like Jane Austen and the Brontes, which I had not read in school, not being an art student and didn't do literature. But somehow I found more pleasure in reading those when I had no pressure, you know, no pressure to study them or write essays or whatever. But the Japanese are, of course, big readers. Their bookstores are big, gigantic even, and filled with thousands of books. But of course, most of them were in Japanese and therefore inaccessible to gaijin like me. Gaijin is the word that Japanese use for foreigners. Um, I think it means aliens. <laughs> when I needed to read something about Japanese culture, I therefore had to depend on books by expatriate writers. I no longer remember who they were, but they were fine for basic information about, you know, basic courtesy rules and where to go and how to manage the subway and things like that. But I couldn't help feeling that they didn't truly convey what the Japanese are, are really like. Still, um, many Japanese books have been translated into English and what a treasure it is. Japanese writers are very particular in their style, but still very, very good and have become well-known enough, well-recognized internationally enough that three of them have won Nobel Prizes in literature. I'm not sure if any other country has that many, but they have three. Uh, Kawabata Yasunari in 1968, Kenzaburo Oe in 1994, and probably the most well-known to all of us, Kazuo Ishiguro in 2017. Of the three, I've only read two of them. Ishiguro, of course. I think I've read most of his early books, including Pale View of the Hills and Artists in the Floating World, which were both about Japan and Japanese characters. And then Remains of the Day, 
which is about an English butler in an upper-class household. I think I actually read Remains of the Day first because it had won the Booker Prize, and then I went backwards. You know how it is. You discover an author, and then you want to read everything that they've written. I read Kawabataya Sunari by chance. I was in school books one day at Bangsa Village too, and Raman, the owner, recommended me Yasunari's Palm of the Hand stories. Yasunari was a master of writing these very short stories. I guess today you might call them flash fiction, fiction, but actually they feel like prose haiku. Small stories describing people or a situation, but complete in themselves. The book stories come from the 1920s and all the way up to 1972, which I think is when he, he died, uh, with uh, gleanings from Snow Country, which is actually a, what do you call, a miniaturized version of his most famous novel, Snow Country. And in fact, he didn't write long novels. He either wrote short stories that he then expanded into novels, or, like this one, actually, he, it was a bit different because he compressed or miniaturized a full novel into a short story. And of late, there's been a whole spate of modern Japanese writers who have gained recognition in English. You know them. Haruki Murakami and Banana Yoshimoto are probably the most famous names. And I have to admit that I haven't read either of them. But when I was researching Japanese writers for this uh, podcast, I was surprised to find not only that there are many, many of them, but many of them are female and feminist. This is intriguing because Japan is not known as a country where women are treated equally. Most recently, the president of the Japanese Olympic Committee was forced to resign because he said that women should not be allowed on company boards or whatever boards because they talk too much. Um, if you have sat on a board like I have, you will know that, in fact, men also talk a great deal on them and not with always much substance either. But that aside, the fact is that he had to resign. There was such an outcry in Japan, which I find interesting because obviously women have now come out a great deal. They're no longer passively uh, accepting sexism like that. He had to resign. And then I guess for him to add insult to injury, the Japanese Olympic Committee then replaced him with a woman. Seiko Hashimoto, who was an Olympics minister, I guess that means she was in charge of the Olympics, as well as a seven-time Olympian in cycling and speed skating. So there. So maybe things are changing for Japanese women. I remember when I was there, things were not great. Uh, women were expected to be quiet and giggly and pretty and allow themselves to be treated in the most patronizing ways by men. But nowadays things have changed, obviously, and I'm sure Japanese women writers have helped to rouse 
women to stand up to sexism and demand change. There's Mieko Kawakami, who wrote Breast and Eggs, which is such an interesting um, title. There's Hiromi Kawakami, I wonder if they're related, I don't know, whose most recent book is The Ten Loves of Nishino, which is apparently about a guy called Nishino as told by ten women who, I don't know, were girlfriends or something. Um, then there's Sayaka Murata's Convenience Store Woman and uh, Natsuo Kirino, who I've never heard of, but who has been described as Japan's most powerful and respected feminist author, who wrote a scathing attack on patriarchy in a novel called Out. Um, there's also Kyoko Nakajima, who wrote The Little House, Yukiko Motoya, who wrote The Lonesome Bodybuilder. So there's a wealth of Japanese contemporary writers to discover, including women writers, which is great for me because I like reading uh, women writers. Yes, I'm biased, but I always want to know the point of view of women, especially in a country like Japan, which is so... Um, ingrain patriarchy is so ingrained in the mindset of all these thousands of years and and it's been very very hard to change that so i only said about reading modern japanese writers recently with sayaka murata's convenience store woman it's about a woman who spends her entire working life entire working life okay like 30 something years in a convenience store like Family Mart, I guess. She spends her day stacking boxes, mining the cash register, um, talking sometimes to customers, and generally following the routine and rules set out by the corporation that owns the chain. It is an incredibly rigid life, which she tries to follow as much as she can, which makes her not quite unable but difficult to understand temporary workers who don't follow the rules. It is a bit bleak. She goes to visit her married sister who has a child, but, you know, can't decide whether that's a better life or the life she leads as a single woman working in a convenience store is better. Um, she doesn't have a boyfriend, but this guy somehow moves in with her without her really, you know, having much of a relationship. I think he didn't have anywhere else to go, so he kind of moved in, and that was it. Um, yeah, it's, it's a woman who has things happen to her. Um, but it does have its insightful moments from her observations of uh, the people in the store and the people he meets, uh, she meets. So let me read a bit to you. There's this part where... She was talking to some of her workmates, and after that, she made this observation. When you work in a convenience store, people often look down on you for working there. I find this fascinating, and I like to look them in the face when they do this to me. And as I do so, I always think, that's what a human is. And sometimes, even those who are doing the same job are biased against it. Before I knew what I was doing, I looked Shiraha in the face. 
I find the shape of people's eyes particularly interesting when they're being condescending. I see awareness or a fear of being contradicted or sometimes a belligerent spark ready to jump on any attack. And if they're unaware of being condescending, their glazed-over eyeballs are steeped in a fluid mix of ecstasy and a sense of superiority. I looked into Shiraha's eyes. There I saw only prejudice in its simplest form. So there you go. I don't know about you, but I think now that since I can't travel to Japan with all this lockdown and everything, um, and I used to go to Japan at least once a year because I love it so much. I, I love the place. I love that it's safe. I love that it's so efficient. It's so clean. And of course, I love the food. But right now, I'm stuck. I can't go. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to travel there through these books. And I really hope to discover a whole world that maybe I didn't know much about. And I think all these books are available online, if not in our bookstores. I don't know how how hip and happening our bookstores are that they will carry Japanese books, contemporary Japanese books. I have seen Murakami and Banana Yoshimoto um, in our stores and I did get the convenience store woman at Kinokuniya. So I guess it's a matter of exploring and seeing what we have. But I think I'm going to enjoy um, discovering Japan and Japanese women and Japanese people on the whole um, through these Japanese authors. By the way, there are of course also some other uh, Japanese uh, genres uh, besides fiction. Um, they also they do also write um, mystery, quite a lot of mystery. They also write those types of dystopian novels, futuristic novels, and also horror. And of course, they're famous for their manga. Uh, manga, I think, is a little bit out of my um, territory. I do remember um, sitting in the subway and watching all these people um, reading manga. Almost every single one of them would be reading manga, some manga or other. And sometimes I've been able to peek over the next person's um, shoulder and looking at what he's reading when he's reading manga. And manga, I found, um, could be quite violent, especially against women. Um, I, I really quite horrible scenes of, well, violence, of rape and even murder of women. So I, I really have a real prejudice against manga because of that but I'm quite sure that there's a lot that isn't like that so I'm quite happy if anyone will point me towards them although I'm really a, a words person and I really much prefer reading words uh, by writers so I'm going to try all these translations of Japanese uh, books I'm sure also there are Japanese writers who live overseas uh, in Western countries and it would be interesting to read them as well. There is one 
writer, I think, a woman also who lives in Germany. And I forget her name, but uh, I'm sure she might have a different perspective on on Japan and how Japanese people think. Apparently, she wrote a book about three bears, um, three bears who are siblings, but they all had different experiences, and that was a way of commenting on contemporary life. So there you go. Um, that's my take on Japanese writers this week. If you have any recommendations for Japanese writers, Japanese books that you have enjoyed, do drop us a line and let us know because I love recommendations because, you know, you never know. I hate picking up a book that I don't enjoy, so I'm happy to read one which someone else has enjoyed. So there you go. That's Busy Reading Books for this week. See you next time and happy reading. Sayonara. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to check out zafigo.com for more travel inspiration. Until next time.